Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. So, hey, if you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. Let it be that your life is to love God with everything that you are. Last Wednesday night, I was, you better watch out, girls. Last Wednesday night, I was in the SMC East preaching to the 5th and 6th graders and the 7th and 8th graders, and I made this realization. The current seniors, you guys and you guys, uh, when I started here, you were 8th graders. The current freshmen, when I started here, you guys were 5th graders. And I was standing backstage as Madison and Chip and the little junior hires were leading everybody in worship. And I just started tearing up thinking about you guys and how innocent and sweet you used to be. You know, it's like I used to love you guys. I'm just kidding. I still love you guys so much. Even more now. Um, but I, I walked out with a sword last week and told them a story. And I'm going to, I'm going to, are you guys nervous with this right here? You guys a little nervous? It might break off. It's probably from Amazon. Um, I walked out with a sword and I want to tell you the same story, but I want to give you the backstory. You will all have some teachers that you remember forever. I will always remember, you obviously have somebody because you're laughing about it right now. Uh, I will always remember Mrs. Perkins. She was my sophomore year math teacher and she allowed us to cheat on any homework assignment or test that we wanted to. She literally put the answers with the answer book up front and said, if you want to get the answer, come up here and get the answer. It was like, man, this is heaven. This is amazing. I will never forget Mr. Ingham who gave me this book and this sword. He was my junior year history teacher, and he was weird. He looked like Colonel Sanders from uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he did not have a plan any day that we walked into that classroom. It was just a soapbox rant every time. And he did not like me because I liked to talk in his class. It was the only class that I ever got moved seats in was Mr. Ingham's history class junior year. Eventually, our relationship mended. He was the kind of teacher, he would take students on bike rides throughout Tulsa, um, sometimes 15 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles. But the big one he did every year was called the Ultimate Geezer Challenge. It was a 100-mile bike ride. And if you were in his class your senior year, you could ride the 100-mile bike ride. So you had to be a senior, which I meant to say you were a junior and you graduated from junior year. You could do that your senior year. And I did it 100 miles. And I've never tasted sweat on my tongue before, like the saltiness of a sweat until I ran, rode 100 miles on a bicycle. He drank three pots of coffee every day in his classroom, but he never used fresh coffee grounds. He would use the same coffee grounds all week long and then bring some new grounds in on Monday. A weird dude. When I was in high school, he heard that I um, wanted to be a youth minister, and so he gave me this book that is written by a pastor, and it's honestly like not that good of a book, so you don't, shouldn't read it, but he called me by my brother's name. He starts the book off with Chase, which is my brother's name, <laughs> and he gave me happy 18th birthday, February 10th, which is my birthday, but he said Chase, which is my little brother which is so funny. But he also gave me this sword. He gave Andrea a dagger. He drove to Joplin two years ago and gave Andrea a dagger and me this sword. And he brought it into Instant Karma, which is like, what are we supposed to do with giant weapons in a restaurant on Joplin Main Street? Like people know us in this city. 
But he gave me the book and the sword, and they were supposed to go together, for this is apparently the replica of William Wallace's sword, that great rescuer of Scotland. The person who kind of betrayed William Wallace was a man named Robert the Bruce, and he eventually tried to help Scotland, and he became the king of Scotland. And on his deathbed, this is a story I began to tell to the fifth or eighth graders, on his deathbed, he was dying, and he had always wanted to go um, to Jerusalem. He wanted to take um, a, a crusade to Jerusalem, which... Crusade, not a great thing, but he wanted to go there, and apparently he couldn't because he was dying, and uh, he had a weird request. On his deathbed, he had called his friend, uh, Sir Douglas, over, and he said, Douglas, old Dougie, would you take the heart out of my chest and take it to Jerusalem for me? Which I know I don't do a good Scottish accent at all, but uh, that's what he requested that his friend take his heart out of his chest. And his friend did. By the way, I want to show you a picture of how far this is. Uh, If you could pop up the picture on Google Maps that I put up there. From uh, Scotland to Jerusalem is 3,493 miles. And some of you won't even carry your friend's backpack to the next class for them or take the dishes to the sink like your mom and your dad ask you to. Douglas was going to take Robert's heart all the way to Jerusalem, specifically to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And how he was going to do this was he was going to um, take it and put it in like a locket and wear it around his neck. So he wore the cold, dead heart of his friend, Robert the Bruce, around his neck and tried to carry it all the way to Scotland. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, to Jerusalem. Unfortunately, he engaged in some battles like people who were on crusades did. And uh, there was one battle in particular that he was not winning. Like he knew that this was going to be bad and and so he was in this tight spot, and he, and he had to rally the men. He was leading the king's army, and he had to rally the men. And so he held the heart of Robert the Bruce high above his head, and he roared over the battle, fight for the heart of your king. But he was Scottish, so he probably said, laddies, fight for the heart of your king. And he threw it in, behind enemy lines. And all of the people charged forward to fight for the heart of their king. When I was in the eighth grade, I was asked if I wanted to be a part of a gang. And I brought a picture of me in the eighth grade so you can understand why people would want me to be in their gang. And uh, it was in gym class, and man, that looks good. If you can read my baseball hat, it was Drake Intimidators, which was our team name, number 33. And why I had so many choker necklaces on, I am not quite sure. But that was me in the eighth grade, and I was in gym class, and these two guys, the leaders of the O-Town Bad Boys, approached me. It was a local junior high gang, and they, but they weren't well known. You won't find them on Wikipedia. Uh, they approached me and said, do you want to be in our gang? I said, well, what's in it for me? They said, don't worry about it. I said, well, that's not like what I was hoping to hear. So I asked, what do you guys do? Stuff. I said, okay. Where do you do these stuffs? Places. Who's at these places? Other people. I said, okay. Sounds great. How do I join? They said, we're going to take you out to the tennis courts and we're going to beat you up. I said, fellas, this is a great deal for me. Obviously, on many reasons why. And the people who you've obviously told me are in your gang are the most respectable characters in our school and obvious benefits of going to the tennis courts and getting my face pounded in. Sounds really good, but I'm going to have to pass on your gang. And unfortunately, the O-Town bad boys are no longer an affiliate of any gang at all. They have, they have died. 
I don't know. The, 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 the idea of them died. <laughs> the idea. Not the people. The idea. But uh, I was, I was um, in the eighth grade when they asked me that, and I remember thinking to myself, who would join something where you have to get beat up to be a part of it? Like, what an odd initiation. And then I think about the initiation Jesus calls his disciples to. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Kinsley. Uh, I think the, the initiation Jesus calls his disciples to, uh, and he says this in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, for there is a benefit in heaven, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus had something to offer, but he required their life to take up their cross and follow him. And I think about the way in which sometimes we act like we do that, but we don't really do it. I mean, maybe when Jesus is speaking, we try to equate it to like, maybe Jesus was just pumped, like it's the last night of move, and he's just like going crazy, like Sidney's dad sometimes does at the last night of move. And we just... Like, maybe he didn't. It's your husband. You can laugh. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we don't really take Jesus seriously. You guys remember that the sophomores broke my knee um, earlier this summer, and I have to go to physical therapy now because of it. My physical therapy, my, my doctor, I called my guy Andro. You guys know Andro because he works in this field. And I said, Andro, who do I go talk to? And he says, you're going to go talk to Robert Lawrence. I said, okay. And behind his back, behind Dr. Lawrence's back, I call him Robbie because he's a bro. And uh, I go see Robbie, and I, and I get good reports from Cassie and Tara, who also work in this field. I'm, like, I'm pumped about my guy, Robbie. Robbie does the surgery. I have to let him put me under, and they have to cut open my leg and take my hamstring and put it in my ACL. And I have to let them do things to me that hurt, and the, and the, and the recovery was hard, and they sent me to physical therapy. And my first physical therapist, his name was Michael, and I call him Mikey because he's a bro. And so Mikey and I were working out together, and he's helping me stretch and get my range of motion back, and it hurts so bad, but I know that there is reward and benefit even though the pain is, is coming. Unfortunately, uh, Mikey, my man, he broke his collarbone, was out for eight weeks, so I got a new physical therapist. Her name is Victoria, and I call her Vicky because she's a bro, and Vicky and I, we work together, but Vicky and I, um, we, she put me on this machine that I have to kick hard. And I have my left leg, and then I do my right leg. My left leg was healthy. My right leg is the one that they broke. And so I'm trying to figure out if my right leg is strong enough. And unfortunately, the machine told me that my right leg is still weak, and I got sad. But Victoria had a new plan. And I hate the plan that we're working on right now because apparently the muscles aren't firing like they're supposed to. So now every time I do a workout at physical therapy and I extend my leg, I have an NMES attached to me, which is a neuromuscular electric stimulator. And basically, you know those little like uh, sticks of gum where you pull it out and it shocks you? That's like what I have to do to myself. I have this little trigger on my thumb, and every time I kick, I have to shock myself so I don't like you guys anymore. And it hurts so bad. And the thing about it is, is I could fake it because I'm the one holding this thing. But I know if I want to heal, if I want to become right, if I want to grow in strength in my leg, I have to do what Victoria, on oh my bad, what Vicky is telling me to do. I have to shock myself every time I extend 
my leg. So no, Jesus is not kidding about this. And furthermore, what Skylar and Judah just read, one of the teachers of the law asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Die to yourself and love God with everything that you are and don't fake it. But a fair question to ask is this. Is God really worthy of your every affection? Is he really worthy of your whole heart? I want to ask you to consider two things. Number one, consider his glory, the nature of his being. God is infinite. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God. Genesis 1 talks about the creation of the world, but when it says in the beginning, it's not talking about the beginning of God, for God has no beginning. He has always been, and he always will be. It's talking about the beginning of creation. Creation, of course, which God spoke with his voice, and all things came into being which means he's omnipotent. It's a theological term that means that God is all-powerful. He creates, he redeems, he restores mountains, rivers, lakes, animals, people, and angels all find their existence and their beginning in the voice of God. For he is before all things, and in him all things find their being and hold together. God is also omniscient, which is to say he is all-knowing. He knows the full measure of pi beyond 3.14159. And I know some of y'all know a little bit longer than that, but God knows it to the end, even if there's not an end. He knows it. He knows the number of grains of sand on every single seashore and every fiber of hair on your head, every sin- which is to say he knows you intimately. Not just like he knows facts, like he's the world's best Wikipedia or Google or Yahoo. God knows you and he cares about you. Psalm 139, David wrote this. You searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God is also on the present, which means he is everywhere. His presence fills the whole earth. David continues, Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens and you are there, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Consider his glory. Consider the glory of the only uncreated, unmoved, unblemished, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present being in the universe. And if his glory, if the quantity of his nature is not good enough for your every affection, consider the quality of his nature, because I could, I could see somebody making the argument like, sure, he's all powerful, he's all present, he knows all things, but is he good? So, the quality of his being. David writes in Psalm 139, 13 through 16. I want you to catch this. He's talking about God as your creator. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Some of you, I want you to hear what he just said. Your works are wonderful. David is speaking about himself. Some of you look at your life and you're like, my life is a mess. I am a mess. I am not loved. That is not true. You were loved before you were even born. For God, the creator of the stars and the mountains and the lakes and the rivers, was the one that formed you in your mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. 
When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Loved, you were created. And yet every single one of us fell into sin and death, which means that Jesus, consider his goodness as your redeemer from sin and death. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin, not you. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He has redeemed you from sin and death. And he is sustaining you in the present. King Jesus seated on his throne. Hebrews 1, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Even right now, As the world seems in chaos, God is sustaining your very being, and he is seated with his feet up on the ottoman. For God has no problems. He only brings peace. And if that's not enough, our king is coming back to us to fully restore and redeem all that is broken. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So consider his glory, the quantity of his being, and consider his goodness, the quality of his being, and consider giving him your full affection, your whole heart. One of the joys I have right now as a dad, because Willie's about six months old, is it's my responsibility to spend the morning with him and get him ready to go to the babysitter, which is why his clothes are usually on backward and he's missing socks. But that's not, that's not the point. The point is I love spending time with Willie in the mornings. And um, recently I've been filming him every time I wake him up. Willie is the sweetest kid at night, just a sweet six-month-old baby, but he is a moody, attitudinal teenager in the mornings. And I prepared a video for you guys to show you exactly what I mean when I turn the lights on in Willie's life. Check it out. Yes, sir. 
<laughs> uh, that's my son, and I love him so much. But uh, I show you that video to make the point. People who are comfortable in the darkness don't like the conviction of the light. For we believe that light is good, and I'm speaking mostly in the spiritual realm right now. Satan has done a good job of making our slavery to sin feeling like the comfort, comfort of a pillow. And when God turns the lights on and he exposes the darkness of the evil and the darkness of our hearts, there will be pain for a short moment, but there will be eternal freedom. Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes this, for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So my request of you tonight is this. Consider the glory of God. Consider the goodness of God. And consider giving him your heart, which I know is a big request. Because when I say your heart, I'm speaking of you. Consider, consider giving your life to God. Uh, two of your peers in this room right now did it, very, did it last week. Cheyenne Lawson and Autumn Sewell uh, stepped into the baptistry, Cheyenne on Wednesday and Autumn on Sunday, to give their life to Jesus. For they considered his glory and they considered his goodness and they decided, I'm going to give him my whole heart, my, my whole being, my every affection. So what does God do? Like when I was asked to join that gang, there was no benefit to me. Like maybe a few friends I probably shouldn't have been hanging around with. But what's the benefit of when you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? What's the benefit when you love him with everything that you are and you give him your every affection? He makes everything new. For this is the ministry of Jesus. And he makes you new. A list of what he does. At his name, blind eyes may see, deaf ears may hear, mute mouths may speak, and at his name, the paralyzed may move. The skin of the leper cleansed, the cancer gone, and there will be no more tears when it comes to our physical pain. And in his power, people reconciled, red, yellow, black, and white, all who are precious in his sight will become precious in the sight of one another. Racism will be gone. Families with the vision in the home restored. Friends disrupted by gossip, slander, and hate reconciled. For there will be no more tears when it comes to our relational pain. And watch and see what he will do. For he will take your addiction to idols and he replaces them with affections for him. He takes our fears and turns them to peace. When we feel lost, he reminds us we are found. He shines bright in the darkness and fills us with the light of life. And there will be no more tears when it comes to our spiritual pain, for he is making everything new. 
This is the great work of God. So see his glory, see his goodness, for he is worthy of your heart, your every affection, your every desire, your every hope, and your every dream. He is worthy of your mind, your every thought, your every plan, your every consideration, your every homework assignment, and your every Bible study. He is worthy of your soul, your joy, your delight, your goodness, your freedom, your laughter, your patience, your peace, your kindness, your faithfulness, your self-control. He is worthy of of it, and he is worthy of your strength, your physical strength, your mental strength, your emotional strength. He is worthy of your discipline, your early rising, your late night prayers. He is worthy of the fight, and he is worthy of your might. He is worthy of everything. And so let it be so that your life is to love him with everything that you are. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.